Before the video begins, I want to thank you guys so much for getting me to 10,000 subscribers. I mean, this is just insane. It's been a crazy year. And also, I want to give a quick shout out to Papa Scare. He's going to be featured later on in the video, and I'm sure you guys will enjoy his voice. He does some incredible narrations over in his channel. I'm going to put a link down in the description down below, and you guys should definitely subscribe to him before finishing this video. I'm sure that would make his New Year's all that much better. And thank you again. I hope you guys do enjoy these very true and very scary stories. Before we start, judge me all you want, but now I can be a bit stupid. It's only because I don't like to force myself to live on edge because of the sick people in this world. I live my life as freely and fearlessly as I possibly can. At the time of the story, I was 23 years old. My birthday just passed on the 29th of November, making me 24 now. I'm only 5'2 and about 170 to 180 pounds. I'm strong enough to help move furniture, but not strong enough to defend myself the way I would like to. You would think as someone who survived a attempted sexual assault, I would learn some self-defense, but I've lost a lot of motivation and self-worth since. The abusive relationship really made it worse. That's besides the point. So to start, I won't get into the major details, but I had just moved to Jackson, Tennessee from Miami, Florida because I had just gotten out of an extremely physical, emotionally, and mentally abusive relationship that lasted three years. About some time in June, my current boyfriend and I had been doing trips pretty much every weekend we would visit a new hiking plus waterfall area. Although there isn't a nightlife, Tennessee is amazingly beautiful. We went to this place called Narrows of the Harpeth. This was one of the underwhelming places we'd been to, but still relaxing. After we found a cool place to sit and swim after hiking for two hours, a few shots and one blunt later, it was time to make the hour trip back to Jackson. I put my shoes on and slid my dress back on, which is a little bit above the knee length. Like if I'd been down too far forward, my little bum bum would just be on display. I owe my body and sexuality to showing some skin. It never really bothers me, and I don't really think about it, because I just expect people to respect me, as I respect them the way they dress. Anyways, on the way back to the car, I, being the tipsy dumbass I am, managed to trip and fall and scrape my leg pretty badly. It's actually scarred now. Anyways, I tell my boyfriend we need to go to Walmart once back in Jackson so I could thoroughly clean my wound with hydrogen peroxide and neosporin. My boyfriend says okay and an hour later we're at Walmart. Mind you, it's only about 9pm. Going on 10pm. Not late by any means. We get what we need to but because I'm still tipsy and pretty high from the blunt, I finished in the car ride home I got distracted so easily and remember that my boyfriend got me the wrong size case for my iPhone 11 Pro. He got the Max instead of just the Pro. I wanted an idea of what I could trade it for, and he wanted to look at some of the games as well, as a gaming PC for me. So I'm happily tipsy and excited to find a new case, which if you've ever been to Walmart, the cases are never in order, and often just causes you to bend down to look at things. There was this man looking at the cases as I just said. Excuse me, sorry, can I look at those cases you're standing in front of? 
He just looked at me with a blank yet dirty look, nodded and stepped over. As I'm happily looking through the shelf about five minutes in, and this lady and what I assume to be her two children approach me. Mind you, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I'm thrown off by how close she is to me, especially with her baby that looks no older than nine months. I step back and she just grabs my arm and says, Oh my god, wow, I haven't seen you in forever. Look at that hair, wow. And her grip tightens. At this point, my heart is racing. My face gets so hot, and I'm visibly scared. That's when my boyfriend says, Everything okay, babe? He looks at me equally concerned, and I'm thinking to myself, Does this lady know my mom? Who is she? Is she an old family friend I don't remember? Mind you, I'm originally from Ohio, and we have family here, but I don't know one of my family that lives in Tennessee. My mom loves to brag about her kids, so I'm just trying to shake this weird feeling, but her daughter keeps looking behind me. So I go to turn around and she goes, No, don't turn. Uh, walk with me, please. Trust me. I don't know why, but I felt she was being genuine, and I just followed her. We stepped over to the side by the baby clothes, which is still in front of the electronics, and she says, Baby, I'm so sorry to scare you, but there's three men surrounding you. They went by the laptops, talked, and then I noticed a guy taking photos and videos of you while you're bent over looking at the cases. The other man was tall, guy next to you, and I don't know where the third man went. All I can remember is this high-pitched ringing in my ears. My stomach flipped and I felt like I was going to be sick. I never knew what people meant when they say, everything slowed down. But in that moment, everything moved in slow motion, and I was freaking out, to the point that I had no clue what she said after. It was as if I had blacked out for a moment and then quickly came to realization that the family and my boyfriend were looking at me visibly panicked. I turned around and there he was. He's Hispanic, shorter than me, maybe 5 foot 1, but he was very much built. Looked around his 40s. The other man who was white, maybe around his 40s, was about 5 foot 11. I'll never forget the dead blank range in this man's Hispanic eyes. Like his first meal in 5 days had been stolen from him and he's ready to kill in order to have it back. That's when I saw the white man walk over to him. They said something both and looked at me, looked back at each other, said something else and started to slowly walk towards us. At that point, we turned around and headed for the registers. That's when I thanked my lucky stars because there was three cops in the front of the store. By the time I really pushed past people to get to the self-checkouts, with tears in my eyes and frantically repeating excuse me to anyone who got in front of me, I looked back and saw them just standing there, with a the third guy this time. My heart sank and I wanted to pass out at that moment. I guess it looked like I was going up to the cops because they hightailed it out of there. Once they saw me get close to the cops, me being high as shit and being a black woman, I wasn't going to chase down the cops turning this around on me because I was simply stoned and tipsy. My only thought was, get to the car, get to the gun, don't stop run. My boyfriend said he could barely keep up with me, and at one point, he grabbed my hand so tight that he had to force the grip off, because it felt like I was going to crush his hands. And before anyone bashes my boyfriend, I don't expect a man to be my savior. Also, he isn't the angry confrontational type. He's very calm and level-headed. 
He wouldn't even hurt a fly unless he was asked to get rid of it, for whatever reason. I just knew I was the target and I was putting him at risk. I knew they could easily jump him and one of them could overpower me after taking him out. I probably looked crazed half walking and running past everyone, but I didn't care. I wasn't going to become another missing sister. We made it to the car safely and peeled it out of there. I've never seen him drive so fast as he's beyond careful and would never speed. We sat at a Sonic for about an hour and just to make sure we weren't being followed. We recounted everything that happened and I just couldn't believe we were both too tipsy to notice that I'd become prey in somewhere as simple as Walmart. I'd never felt so stupid and irresponsible in my life. Never want to experience that fear and panic in my life again. I'd even get a chance to thank the lady who had pretty much saved us. Sometime we talk about it and wonder if the lady didn't see the guy. Even if we caught on, there was three of them and we only saw two at first. I'm 5'2 and 170 pounds and I think of the horrors that night and I had nightmares that the men attacked us in the parking lot. Creepiest part of the dream was the third man shoved me into the trunk. I remember looking up and all I could see is the featureless face. I woke up in tears that night realizing I didn't get a clear look at the third guy's face. It took me nearly a month to enter Walmart again. Since I had moved states and had only been to Walmart once since moving here. So to the creepy man that stalked me, upskirted me, and basically followed me, even when they knew I was around other people. I genuinely hope we never meet again, because the gun I carry on my person now has three beautiful hollows that would enjoy meeting all of you. This happened nearly a decade ago now. At the time of the story, I was 15, Mel, 5'5", and 132 pounds. I was a wrestler, so I knew my exact weight, and kept myself extremely lean but still had a fairly muscular build. I lived in a fairly small town, about 50 to 60,000 people, and in my off-season, I did whatever I could to be somewhat active and outside. I had a friend, let's call him Blaze, who was really into disc golf, and always asked me to come play with him and smoke a doobie while we're in the more secluded parts of the course. He was a couple years older than me, but no bigger than I was just not so great influence for me at the time. The small town only had two disc golf courses, one at a very public park near the middle school, or one at the edge of the town in an older park that was much bigger. Obviously we weren't smoking for everyone to see, so the edge of the town sealed off the park it is. Little did I know on that Tuesday afternoon, this park happens to be my town spot for gay men to meet and hook up in parking lots. I live in the Midwest, US. So these were not your stylish, young, pretty guys. It was mostly guys aged 30 to 50, who were pretty big and aggressive, yee-yee looking. So we finished the course and the joint, walking out of the woods, anything but sober. We typically either just chilled in the grass, or played catch after we finished up until my buddy was more normal, and ready to drive back. We noticed that there was way more cars in the parking lot than when we first got there and a lot of older guys sitting on trucks, other cars, or the tailgates, loosely grouped together. This very large hairy man in a tank top, and his tall thin friend dressed like a biker gang member, started to do the wolf whistle towards me and my friend. I got pretty uncomfortable, not because gay men whistled at me, 
but because we had to walk in their direction, and I could feel the eyes of way more guys on me than I wanted. For a testosterone-filled weight room junkie teenager, I did not feel very safe here knowing that we were at least 30 guys in this group, and I could see in my peripheral that a fairly large portion were eyeing us closely as we walked towards the parking lot. I'll make it clear that I'm not a fighter, and I would never intend to hurt anyone, aside from self-defense, but I was definitely confident myself to hold someone off. Us two were just so outnumbered and not in a sober state of mind, so anxiety made things much worse. A couple of them said some gross catcall things like more whistles and that woo noise that rednecks make when they're excited about something or instigated, similar to woo, but if Eric Cartman screeched it. I think that they had an idea that we were some people they met online and were coming to meet up. Being high, I didn't care what was going on. I just wanted it to be safe and not the center of attention. When we got closer, a big hairy man who did the first wolf whistle said something like, You think you could handle this? And I just mumbled, No thanks, and tried to keep walking. He yelled back, What was that, boy? To which I just said more clearly, No thanks, I'm not into that. He seemed offended and angrily said, Not into what? All I said was, Sorry, I'm not gay and he seemed to be offended by the word gay, again asking me to repeat myself in a very aggressive tone. So I corrected myself and said I'm not homosexual. Things escalated from here real quick. The man stepped forward from leaning against the truck and grabbing my wrist. He said, we can fix that real quick. Don't get excited, I didn't do some cool fight move to attack him. Just a simple wrist roll, and using the momentum and a quick push of the elbow to turn him back around said that he would be on his back and me and I could go on our way. He said, Touch me like that again and we'll get the both of you. Another guy made his way over to Blaze, who was much less calm and the chill type of stoner that I was. I can only describe what he did was one of those kicks or sidesteps off a wall, but to that guy's chest slash abdomen. He started to run and yelled, uh, Fuck off! Fuck! Very quickly, Bunches of guys began to stand up from their seats, and on the outside of the cars and motioned our direction. I started booking it for the car too, and Mr. Skinny Biker Man was running right after us. Thank God it was just him running and not multiple chasing us, or this story might have been different. I was faster than Blaze so I got ahead of him, and picture us running across a parking lot to his truck that was facing us, backed into a stall. I got around to the passenger side quickly with Blaze still around 100 feet from the truck. He tried to cut to the right to make it to the driver's side of his little S10, but Skinny cut him off and sent him to the left passenger side. I ran around to the back of the truck as fast as I could to open the driver's door, and Blaze slid his keys across the roof to me. I hopped in, well aware that I didn't want to be driving right now in this state of mind, much less in a crazy situation, and even more or less someone else's vehicle. Still without thinking, I started it and skidded out of the parking lot, while Skinny banged on the bed of the truck chasing. That's not the end. A truck and a car are on their way right behind me. Skinny jumped into the car that was in the back and a chase began. Terrified and still high, I cut through the grass of the park to get to the main road more quickly, thinking I would lose them that way. These guys raced right over to the speed bumps and around to the bends in the park road, 
right up to the main road. And they were driving so fast, I would have got T-boned if I didn't smash the pedal to the floor at the right time. I'm so stressed, I start silently crying while driving, thinking how horrible the possibilities could be. Contact wearers know that when your eyes are dry from the smoke, that they rapidly get moist. Contacts tend to drift a bit until they find their place again. This is definitely not ideal for someone with awful vision, driving twice the speed limit down a road in the middle of town. So I started turning down residential streets and weaving in and out. Being tapped on the shoulder by Blaze to keep my speed up because the two were still right on the rear bumper, I even made some risky U-turns and they followed right along. This chase lasted for over 10 minutes of me frantically driving through main streets, residential back alleys, and everything I could to try to get away from them. I was so scared that the best case scenario ended us getting pulled over, and myself obtaining a permanent record for DUI by the ripe age of 15. Luckily, a stroke of luck and a surprisingly quick reflex came to my aid. Blaze yelled, Cop! and pointed to a parking lot to our left, where there was a police cruiser probably just waiting to catch someone speeding or running a red light on the semi-busy road we ended up on. I whipped into the parking lot and parked a couple stalls down for the cop. The truck prepared to turn but stopped in the middle of the road. So quickly once he realized what was going on in the car, following him, had to swerve and pop the curb. Catching the officer's attention, he backed out and the two vehicles split different ways and were out of sight before he got out of the parking lot. Never went back to the park any time other than the mornings after that. So thankful that nothing bad became of the incident, and we made it out completely unscathed. No idea what they would have done, but people engaging teenagers in a car chase could not have been having good intentions. It was my first time in my life being sexually harassed too. You would think being in a car chase might be fun or exciting, but I just felt so powerless and like I had no control. Like nothing I could do would get both these guys away from us, and simultaneously not get me arrested. This took place at some time in the early 2000s, at an elementary school on Long Island. My dad worked, and still currently works there as a custodian, and being that my parents split up, I would go to work with him on the days he had me in the summer, which was a lot since I loved spending time with him any chance I could. Honestly, I really loved having the whole school to myself. My two older brothers would come every once in a blue moon, but naturally, they grew out of spending too much of their summer at the school and stopped coming altogether, leaving just me. That's when things started getting strange. There were only three of us in the building that whole summer. Me, my dad, and his co-worker, Joey. It's a decent-sized, two-story building with a gymnasium, auditorium, and the other usual elementary school amenities. I would entertain myself the way any kid might during the day, going into the gym and dumping every ball on the floor from the closet, playing on the computers, reading in the library, and making a mess in the art room. Not to mention the best part of it, unlimited tiny cartons of chocolate milk. I suppose it started subtly, from what I recall. Like being in the middle of shooting hoops in the gym, and then all of a sudden just feeling like someone was watching me. So much so that I just dropped the ball and left to find my dad. It happened in the computer room too. 
I was just minding my own business and then just got this very intense feeling of being watched. It would feel heavy in the room when it would happen and like the silence became loud if that makes sense. It creeps me out just remembering that feeling. It started to happen very often and when it did, I would simply get up from whatever I was doing and leave to find my dad or his co-worker. One day, I had been sitting in the same computer room when it happened again. I decided to tough it out this time and stayed, and stayed put in my seat, probably playing Oregon Trail or something. I felt that intense feeling make me want to leave but I stayed, and the longer I stayed, the closer it felt, like if I turned around, it would be right there behind me. I remember being so tense that my back hurt, and then I heard whispers. They were inaudible, but unmistakably coming from the room I was in. I felt frozen with fear. I remember the voice of the whispers sounding guttural and chaotic. I don't remember how long I sat in fear just listening to something that felt so strange and unexplainable. I snapped out of it when I heard the sounds of women chattering in the hall. I was relieved that there were teachers up there with me and got up without looking back and darted towards the voices in the hall. I was on the top floor of the building. It's shaped like a rectangle, lined with classrooms on the outside, and the centre occupied by bathrooms, closets and a faculty room. The voices I heard were coming from the other side of the building, and when I rounded the corner to get to where they were coming from, there was no one there. I heard the voices again, but now they were coming from the other side of the building, where I had just been. So I went back and again, they were coming from the other side of the building. All the while I was searching for people who weren't there. I had that feeling when you're running up basement stairs and feel like something is right behind you, like ice is running down your spine. I finally decided to run down to the first floor and find my dad. When I did, I frantically told him about the teacher's voices upstairs, but not the whispers. I think I was trying to pretend like that didn't happen because it was so scary. It was the first time I had told him about anything I had experienced because I was so sure there were women talking in the hall upstairs. He explained that there were no teachers here and that they usually came at the end of the summer to set up their classrooms, but it was a bit too early in the summer for that. He also said that he would have had to buzz them in from the main entrance for them to come in the school. Him and Joey checked every room for me to see if there was something there or if there was an open window letting in noise from outside. There was nothing and no open windows, just the three of us in an empty school. We didn't really talk about it after that. He didn't tell me I was hearing things and he didn't try to explain it away either. It just was what it was, and although that had been a terrifying experience, I had been coming to that school since I was a baby, and it was easy for me to feel comfortable being alone again, even if it did take a couple of weeks of being glued to my dad's side. The last encounter I had in the school was when I was upstairs, alone again, two classrooms from the room I heard the whispers in. It was nearing the end of the summer, and I was given the task of dusting off chairs and desks in all the upstairs classrooms from whatever had built up over the summer. Bent over and dusting a chair, I saw in my peripheral vision someone standing in the doorway 
I thought it was Joey because my dad is a bigger guy, and this shape looked tall and slender. He was standing there for a while, so I started talking to what I thought was him, but he just stood there not answering me. When I went to look up, I saw a man, but this was not Joey. It happened so fast because he turned and sprinted out of the room almost the moment I looked up, but not quickly enough so that I couldn't see his face. I really wish I hadn't, because it is so ingrained in my memory. It was pale, and it had a human male face, but it looked… off. The eyes were too big, and everything about it looked unnatural. It was wearing clothes, but I can't for the life of me describe them, as I was too startled by its face. I froze again, just stood there, afraid to move until finally my body untensed, and I ran back downstairs and into the kitchen. I would usually pretend to feel unaffected by spooky things in the school, but this time, I ran until I found my dad and Joe in the kitchen. Just for the sake of not sounding ridiculous, I asked if either of them had just been upstairs. They hadn't. After I told my dad, they did the whole school check again, reassuring me that no one was there. I remember feeling embarrassed that I had kept coming to them scared. On the ride home that day, my dad had told me that I wasn't crazy and that there was residue in the school since it was old and always full of people. And when it was empty, it was still so used to moving all the time and having all that energy. He said in his time there, he had heard his name being called and mop buckets rolling down the halls when no one was there but him. He said he hadn't told me the first time because he didn't want to scare me. It has been years now since all of that happened, but about two years ago from present day, my dad calls me up one night and says, you'll never believe what one of the teachers told me. He then explained that a teacher claimed to see a well-dressed man standing in the back of another teacher's classroom in the middle of a lesson while walking down the hall one day. When she asked the other teacher who the man was, the other teacher was confused and said there had been no man in her class. It was the same classroom I had seen the man with the big eyes. I don't know if it was the same man that I saw, and I wouldn't tell my dad this since he is frequently there alone to check the building, but I don't know if I believe that the activity there is simply residue or energy. I think there is something there that went out of its way to scare a child and I don't think it was friendly. My wife and I are expats from the US, and about two weeks ago, we had to go to the nearest big city to renew her passport. This was right before the government announced new leeway on these things due to coronavirus, so bad timing on our part. But that's neither here nor there. This city is a couple of hours away via highway that cuts through the mountains, but the tolls to use said highway come to something like 40 US dollars one way, so we like to use the free mountain road instead. This road is widely known as the most dangerous road on the island, since visibility can go pretty quickly if clouds roll in, and the road itself is narrow, with many twists and turns. So we do our afternoon appointment and start heading back. The sun went down as we were heading through the mountains, but the weather was fine and visibility was great, 
We were chilling out, talking about whatever, listening to music, etc. We drove around one of those sharp winding turns, and that's when we saw the car. It was turned over in a ditch on the side of the road, completely totaled. Before we could say or do anything, I noticed something on the other side of the road closest to us. A group of people, maybe eight or nine of them, all standing perfectly still along the road. They were totally fine, completely uninjured, just staring across the road, not acknowledging anything. Thinking back on it, there's no way all those people could have fit in that car, not even close. I didn't stop. I don't know why. I still don't know why. Right now, I can't imagine not stopping in a situation like that. My wife, too, has stopped in situations like that before. Neither of us said a word. We didn't speak for at least another ten minutes, when we finally acknowledged it. It was weird, though. When we finally acknowledged it, it was just stuff like, they seemed fine, eh? Yeah, they didn't try to flag us down, so they must already have help on the way, etc. I was too messed up to understand at the time, but thinking back, we were both 100% spooked. My wife is one thing, but I just don't get spooked. I can't remember the last time I've felt unnerved by something. But that scene had me scared silent for 10 minutes, and then pretending to be fine immediately after. A couple days later, I started thinking about it again, and I started feeling guilty. Those people probably needed help and I drove right by. I talked about it with my wife, but she avoided the topic like the plague. The area we live in is pretty small, not a lot happens. When there are accidents like this in the mountains, it's reported on very heavily. So I started looking into it to see what happened. I couldn't find anything for the life of me. Not a single word about any serious accidents that had happened recently within 100 miles. Again, I brought that up with my wife, but she desperately doesn't want to talk about it. I still get a chill when I think of them, standing along the road. My grandma's house has always, for as long as I can remember, been a scary place. My dad and aunt and uncle all grew up in the house and had paranormal experiences occur throughout their lives. One example was when my dad and uncle were teenagers. My uncle was walking down the steps and was swinging a towel as he had just washed his hair. Out of nowhere, my dad, who was standing in the living room at the bottom of the stairs, saw the towel straighten out in front of my uncle as if someone pulled it and my uncle fell forcefully down the stairs. Now, my grandma hates all things paranormal, especially Ouija boards and she would often visit gypsies. So it is a big no-no in our family to discuss the paranormal events that occur in her house. 20 years or so ago, my cousins and brothers were playing in the upstairs bedrooms of my grandparents' house. The toys were set up in the room across the hall from them, and they were all in the same bedroom, playing a board game. Out of nowhere, a Hot Wheels car, no batteries, no wind-up, just an average Hot Wheels car, slowly exited the room that the toys were in, went across the hall 
and into the room where they were all sitting. Needless to say, they were all terrified. Around eight years ago, my oldest brother moved into the basement of their house. One night when he was home alone, he woke up out of a deep sleep, having felt like he was shaken by someone. He stood up and instantly smelt gas. He went upstairs and outside of the house. Later, he found out there was a carbon monoxide leak, and if he had not woken up, there's a big chance he could have died in his sleep. Months after that, when my grandparents were away for the weekend, the family decided to try the ghost radar app in their house. We all sat around the phone and my uncle asked the normal questions. Is anyone here? Blah blah. He then asked, who used to live in the basement? At this point my brother had moved out. The ghost radar replied with my brother's full first name, which no one ever calls him. We were shocked. So my uncle asked, how did you save my brother? It replied with, wake. He then asked, what did you save him from? And it said, gas. Needless to say, we were all shocked. The last thing that happened in the house that I'm going to talk about is my grandparents' friend's obituary. My grandparents' friend's obituary will show up in their kitchen every month or so. This friend had passed away probably 15 years ago. They usually say hello to their friend and put the obituary back in the basement where it is supposed to stay. A little while later, it will show back up in the kitchen. I met Mike through Emma and it was clear immediately that Mike was obsessed with her. She was actually into him for a bit but she wanted something not serious. Mike came on hard and heavy, so Emma distracted herself from him. She distracted herself even more after he made some shocking comments about his opinion on sexual assaults, mostly being fake. When Emma and I graduated high school, we had planned to move in together, but due to a family situation, she only stayed at our place for about two days a week, and never on a set schedule. She also could not keep a job to save her life. Her family life was chaotic and made it where she would have to leave at a moment's notice. Emma also had several places she crashed at. Family, friends, my family. It depended on her situation and any odd job she was working. She did a lot of odd jobs, babysitting, yard work, elderly care, catering, etc. No were stable and often she wouldn't know what she was doing until that day. After Emma distracted herself from Mike, I started to realize that he was at my work often, like three or so times a week. It would not have been too weird except my work was a department store for women and children. No men's clothes at all in the store. At first Mike would come in, do a lap and leave. It was weird but I honestly just thought he liked walking them all. Lots of people do that, as my down has practically no entertainment. Then Mike started hanging out in my store and talking to me while I worked. I always talked about Emma. Uh, how's Emma? Why is she avoiding me? Those kind of questions. I was evasive giving one worded answers trying to tell him I needed to work. My manager scolded me for having friends hanging out while working. While I explained I did not want him there. And that he wanted to know about my friend. My manager, he was awesome, 
asked if I wanted him to talk to Mike. I said yes, relieved. After that, Mike went back to doing a lap and leaving until my manager, eventually, stationed the loss prevention guy at my register as a deterrent. It worked. No more Mike at work. I had one. Except I had not counted on Mike being extra creepy. He started showing up in my house. Couple of points. Mike did not have a car, and I lived in a different town than Mike. My family, my job, about 20 minutes by car away. No public transportation in my town or in his. Uber did not exist in this area then either, and Mike did not have a job as far as I knew. Mike knew where I lived because when I first moved in, we had a housewarming party and accidentally made the Facebook invite public. Mike started coming over at random times, sometimes early in the morning, sometimes in the evening, always asking to speak to Emma. I always told him that Emma wasn't there, even if she was. For her safety, I advised her not to come out of the house anymore, and to tell Mike that she wasn't interested, which she did, bluntly. No more distracting and blocking him. In this time, I moved in with a new roommate and co-worker who was also female and had a gun and a big boyfriend. Mike started coming in less frequently and anytime he did, I would tell him that he wasn't welcomed. Now I know I should have called the cops, but there were two things preventing me. One, I was from a not-grand family who avoided cops for the most part. Two, my new roommate was a criminal law major and she already was concerned about how this would appear for her career. Not great reasons, but for a 19-20 year old, it was enough reasons for me not to mention it. Eventually I stopped seeing Mike, but I would still occasionally spot him in places I was. The mall, my town's grocery store, and my dog's favorite park. I stopped posting on Facebook around this time because even though Mike was blocked, he was clearly still able to see my post. I also got that creeping suspicion that he was coming to my house sometimes. My stuff on my porch would be moved at night, my motion sensors lights would go off, and I kept finding Mike's cigarette butts. At least it was the same kind he smoked. My roommate had been there for about 4 months when one night, she had her boyfriend over when someone started pounding on the door. When her boyfriend answered, he saw someone who looked like Mike running away. The next day my roommate and her boyfriend went out of town for a concert. She gave me her gun, even though I felt safe because she had gotten a dog. That was trained as the guard dog. I started watching a cooking show in the living room and at some point I'd fallen asleep. In the middle of the night I woke up to my dog and the guard dog losing their minds, barking like mad at the window. There was a tall figure that bolted as soon as I sat up. I grabbed the gun and opened the door and yelled, I know that's you. I have a gun and I'm calling the cops. Which I didn't do. I just locked me and the dogs in the bathroom and called my dad who luckily was not angry about being woken up in the middle of the night. He drove over and advised calling the cops and following a restraining order, which we called the cops, but they said since nothing was broken and there was no evidence, there was nothing to be done about it. Luckily after this I heard through the grapevine that about a week after the incident with the dogs, Mike's family had sent him to live with a relative in a different state. He did come back after a couple years, but he was wise enough to only contact me once. When I got him to tell him that Emma was not only happily married, but not at all interested in talking to him, I reminded him that I was willing to call the cops if he ever came near us ever again. He never did and I didn't see him anymore. 
though he did try to befriend my husband on Facebook. All it took was another block for him to go away. So it's been about five years since I last saw you. Mike, let's not meet again. Hey friends, thanks for checking out today's video. If you haven't yet, please make sure to hit the like and subscribe button to be notified when I drop a new video or whenever I stream. If you guys want some more behind the scenes actions, make sure to follow me on my social medias. Links to these will be provided in the description, including my public discord. Also, if you'd like to support me in the channel, please consider becoming a channel member or a Patreon, where $1 a month gets you early access to all my videos. And with all that being said, I want to thank you again, and remember, keep it spooky. <laughs> also, thank you for 10,000 subscribers. What an awesome feeling. It's been a crazy year. We hit it. We're done. Uh, no more YouTube videos ever again. Just kidding. We'll see what happens.